Warning, because of the extreme content in this podcast, it is not appropriate for children. It contains depictions of violence, language, and disturbing subject matter. It is recommended strictly for adult audiences. Parental guidance is suggested. My name is Joey Siaglia, and I am so excited to welcome you into our family. There are so many stories being told about serial killers, but no one has created direct relationships like you will hear on Murder Phone. My incredible brother, Tony Siaglia, a traumatic brain injury survivor, and the subject of the best-selling book, The Serial Killer Whisperer, will be your host. Along with his co-host and our amazing father, Al Siaglia, they will share over 15 years of handwritten letters, phone calls, and prison visits that will bring you as close to a serial killer as you'd ever want to be. This is a story that is so raw, so scary, with so many twists and turns, it will keep you clamoring for more. Through his own words and letters sent directly to Tony, you will hear the unfiltered, shocking story of David Gore and his cousin Fred Waterfield, who became known as the Killing Cousins. This is Murder Phone. Hi, and welcome to the fourth episode of Murder Phone. Mom's got to go. I'm your host, Tony Siaglia, the serial killer whisperer. I'm happy and elated to be joined by my co-host and dad, Hollywood sex symbol, Al Siaglia. What an introduction. How, how am I even going to you know, respond to that? I'm glad to be here. In fact, at my age, I'm happy to be anywhere, as Keith Richards would say. Hey, all you listeners out there, Tony and I have put together a story today that'll give you an idea of how sick and deranged these two monsters were. Remember, these accounts aren't made up or edited. These stories come directly from the man who carried out these atrocities. All right, all right, all right. So, we're working our asses off. I know you've been looking for ways to help support the Murder Phone podcast. Well, we're excited to announce that we officially launched a Buy Me a Coffee page. Go to our webpage, murderphone.com, and click on Buy Me a Coffee. Then click the Support tab, and you can buy Dad and I as much coffee as you want. Hurry, though because Aruba ain't cheap in the winter. If you're a super fan and want to get even more up close and personal, sign up for a membership and you'll get access to all kinds of cool, exclusive content that only official murder phoniacs can access. Thanks in advance for your support. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get started. Okay, I'm going to start with this letter which is dated October 27th, 2007. Dear Tony, hey there, pal. I sure do hope this will find you well and in the best of spirits. As for myself, I am fine. I just received your most welcome letter, and as always, it was really great to hear from you. Your letters are really great. Things here have been pretty good. It's been raining for a couple of days, and a bit on the cool side, but not bad. It sure beats the summer heat. Hold on, let me interrupt you. Yes. The cool side. Yes, 
I hope you enjoyed that cool side, because he's going to be burning in hell. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> and we certainly do need the rain. When I was growing up, I came from a really good family. Okay, here, here we go now, right? We talked about this last week. I was never abused. My parents really did the best they could. We were just plain old country folks who basically lived off the land. We hunted for food. We grew our own veggies. We milked cows. My dad would work his butt off to provide for us. I can truly without a doubt say that the way my life turned out was in no way my parents' fault. Well, you know, it's nice that he's sticking up for his parents. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all the research you've done, you've always found in the background. There's there's holes. There's certain holes, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I have had more than one lawyer who has worked on my case and looked at my background, and they came right out and they tell me, this don't make sense. This is one of the reasons I truly believe the root cause lies in what happens when I fell into that ant bed. There he goes. There again. he goes again. That's the only thing that makes any sense, which it really doesn't. You asked me if I ever ate anyone. No, I didn't. That article was created by a real nut job who gathered information from different areas and put together a story to make it look like I wrote it. Stop, stop. Calling that guy a nut job. Talk about the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Yes. Sorry to interrupt you. No problem. If you notice, most of the information in that article you can get from my records and case transcripts. That's one thing I really respect and cherish about you, Tony. You come to me and you ask, and believe me, that goes a real long way with me. You have always been straight up and honest with me, and in turn, that is exactly how I am with you. You asked me, did I ever scalp anyone? That I have to say, yes, I did. In fact, I did so on each one. You know how you always hear that serial killers will take a trophy or a souvenir? Well, here was my souvenir. I suppose if you want to say it, and if you have any questions on this, just ask and I will tell you. So he didn't eat people, but he scalped every one of his victims. Yes, and he had a hair fetish. Mm -hmm. You asked what my favorite method to use on people. You know, this may sound odd, but I was extremely curious about all the ways. So that is why I used different methods, more so to see what it was like. But I did tend to enjoy the hands-on approach where I could watch it in their face. Oh. There is a commonality there, though, when you think about other serial killers that you've talked to over the years. Yes, it's more personal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they, they like to feel the life slip out. Ted Bundy once said, when you watch, watch it in a girl's eyes, when she takes her last breath, 
That's like being God. There's another one. They fried him, which was Mm A-OK. Now, I really have no problems discussing things. I'll tell you this. If I wasn't on death row, I'd certainly be able to discuss a lot more in detail. But this place doesn't like us to say too much. Can you imagine if he wasn't on death row what his stories would be like? Gosh. I mean, they never blocked any of the letters, though. No, I know. Me. But, I mean, what? I'm kind of glad he was. I, I don't know if we could stand much more. I truly, do be- I truly do believe that what made me and my cousin do things is genetic. Plus, add to this the damage done to the brain with the fire ants, there are several scenarios that could develop. You mentioned Kenneth Bianchi, another piece of shit, Tony, and Angelo Bono being cousins. What exactly did they do? I remember hearing about the Hillside Strangler. Did they rape and kill? It's like me and my cousin, our desires were so much alike. The only differences between his likes and my likes was he obsessed with really young girls. The younger the better was his motto. And I liked the older ones, so that was really the only difference. I think the seeds are planted in people at an early age, and it takes a progression to grow to where you are, to where you are able to do the things that, you de- that your desires lead you to do. Me and my cousin were pretty heavy into breaking and entering in people's homes, even at a very young age. That was something we did a lot of. And a lot of the homes we went into were of women, and we'd find all kinds of sex toys in their drawers and lots of nude photos. And I think out of that was triggered a desire to go in other directions, like raping and scalping and murdering and, you know. Other directions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He and I would take off the entire weekend. We would make... All of our family believed we were going fishing or hunting, and they didn't have a clue. We'd use the trailer in my grove as a base. That trailer had everything we needed in it. We'd take off like on a Friday night, and if we got lucky and grabbed one, we'd spend all night with her. And all day Saturday, enjoying our catch. And then Saturday night, we'd be back on the hunt for a new one. Sunday was cleanup day. It's really disgusting if you think about it. I mean, come on. Yeah. Spending time with her, torturing her, watching her go crazy. Do you ever remember hearing of this man and his wife who were serial killers and they happened or they kidnapped young girls and he would rape them while his wife videotaped it? That's what she got off on. Well, for his birthday, she brought his own sister over, and she drugged her sister, and when her sister passed out, she told her husband, Happy birthday, honey. She actually let him do her own sister. Do you know that case? In fact, the disappearance of her sister is what eventually got them caught. Can you imagine her letting him do her own sister while she videotaped everything? She had a thing about watching him do these girls. Remember the Charles Ng case in California? Now that was an interesting case. How in the hell does he even know that? Do they get to read this stuff? 
I'm, I guess so. I think they get newspapers on death row. You know how bad Charles Ng was. Yeah, him and Leonard Lake. Doug Clark even warned you not to write him. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yeah, that he would reach out. Yes, and have yeah if, someone if harm he me. got upset. Yeah. Well, my good friend, let me close this for now, and I'll look forward to hearing from you again. I'll definitely be writing soon. Take care, pal. Your best friend, David. Also, remember, ask any questions about anything you wish to know. I consider you a true friend, so no question is off limits. Okay? Wow. I'm going to I'm going to read an, another letter from David right now, and this one is dated November 8th, 2007. Dear Tony, Hey pal, I sure hope this finds you doing okay. As for me, I'm fine. Things have been pretty quiet, and I have certainly been enjoying the cooler weather. It was down into the 30s this morning. I received your most welcomed and wonderful letter, and as always, your letter truly made my day. You were saying you had a lot of trick-or-treaters on Halloween. Kids sure are getting creative with costumes these days, aren't they? When my son got old enough, I'd take him through our neighborhood trick-or-treating. Then we'd come back home, and I'd help him eat his candy. We had a lot of fun. Even back then, I made sure I inspected his candy before he ate it. What a nice guy. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, we're like, yeah. yeah, We're on on the same wavelength. What a guy. What a nice guy. He'd scalp women, right, and rape them and dispose their bodies. But when it came to his kid's candy? Better check it. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing with me about Ken Bianchi, the hillside strangler. You said he was unreasonable and claims to be 100% innocent. And that is true. He never admitted to killing anybody in all the letters and all the telephone conversations I had with that scumbag. Steve did it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. That's another story. I'm sorry. (laughs) It amazes me how people can claim to be so innocent when so much evidence goes against it. Like my cousin Fred, he claims he did absolutely nothing wrong and doesn't understand why I would make things up about him. Hey, whatever floats his boat, he knows and I know what he did. And of course, his whole family believes every word he says. I have to laugh because if his own mother knew what was planned for her and how close she came to being a victim, she would be shocked. His mom sounds like a piece of shit, though, too. I hate to say that. It kind of goes along with what we were talking about with the genes. No, I think it's more environment. Exactly. She used to flash them. Yeah. You know, the way I feel is I'm responsible for me. 
And that is what I have to worry about. When I tell the truth and it involves him, so be it. I'm going to read a part from Tony's book, The Serial Killer Whisperer. July 15, 1981. Don't you want to come with me? Judith K. Daly asked her sister-in-law. No, you and the girls go, Bonnie Shway replied. I'll stay here and fix a nice dinner. I want to make a key lime pie. Bonnie is not a beach person. She also had given birth two months earlier to a son, and she didn't want to cart him through the dunes. Besides, Kay was one of those true beach lovers who could sunbathe on the beach for hours without getting bored. Bonnie preferred to keep herself busy. Just be back in time for Paul to get to work, Bonnie said. Her husband worked nights, and Kay was borrowing his car that afternoon. Bonnie asked, where are you and the girls going? Kay's daughters, ages 14 and 15, already had made friends with a neighborhood teen, and she told them that J.C. Beach Park was where all of the cute boys their age liked to hang out. She'd offered to introduce them to her friends, and Kay's daughters had gotten their mother's permission. Kay had also decided that spending the afternoon at J.C. Beach with a bunch of hormone-driven teens was not for her. She wanted to relax, read her book, and enjoy some solitude. I'm dropping the girls off with their new friend at J.C. Beach, she told Bonnie. Then I'm heading to Round Island. That's pretty isolated, Bonnie replied, and there's no lifeguards. Kay knew that. She used to go to Round Island Beach with Mike Daly when they first met at a local junior college in 1962 and began dating. Kay, Mike, and their college pals chose the beach because it was so isolated. Tall dunes blocked the eyes of passing motorists on Highway 1A1, A1A. You could light a bonfire and share a keg without worrying about sheriff's deputies showing up to check on underage drinking. Kay and Mike had married after graduation and left Vero Beach for California in 1968 when Mike got a good job offer there. Kay and her daughter had returned this summer to visit Paul and Bonnie. Mike had stayed behind to play in a softball tournament. As planned, Kay dropped off the girls that afternoon and then drove to Round Island Beach where she parked next to a dune and made her way to the isolated shoreline with a book in hand. Shortly after 2 p.m., the clouds turned dark, signaling an approaching afternoon rain. Bonnie's daughter called and said she was going to pick up the girls at J.C. Beach because of the storm. She asked if Bonnie had heard from Kay. She hadn't. A few minutes later, Bonnie's phone rang. Hello, she said. I'm calling to tell you about Judith Daly, a male voice said. Her car was broken down at Wabasso Beach, and she needs someone to pick up her daughters. Is she okay, Bonnie asked. Yes, the caller assured her. Daly was waiting with the car for a mechanic to arrive and fix it. Well, thank you so much for calling, Bonnie said. She thought she had been talking to someone who was doing Kay a favor, but as soon as she put down the receiver, Bonnie became suspicious. No one ever called Kay by her first name, Judith, and she never told anyone her first name. 
Bonnie wondered if the caller had been reading her name off her driver's license. It also bothered her that the caller had said Kay had gone to Wabasso Beach, 10 miles north of Vero Beach, rather than Round Island Beach, which was a few miles south of town. She was about to say something to her husband about the odd telephone call when Kay's two daughters burst inside just ahead of a thunderstorm. Bonnie pushed her fears aside and began chatting with them. An hour passed and then another. At that point, Paul began to wonder what had happened to his car. He needed to leave for work in a few hours. Paul decided to take Bonnie's car and drive to Wabasso Beach. But when he got there, he didn't see his car or Kay. Heading south, Paul drove to Round Island Beach. By now, the storm had come and gone, and the sun was peeking out. Paul turned off the highway as soon as he spotted his car parked near a dune. He went directly to the beach to see if Kay's towel and book were there. Perhaps he feared she had gone swimming and been swept out to sea during the storm. But the beach was empty. He decided to inspect his car. The mysterious male caller had said there was something wrong with it. Popping open the hood, Paul examined the engine and noticed that someone had fooled with the distributor cap. He lifted it. The car's rotor had been removed, making it impossible to start. You were telling me that I forgot to finish the story about the woman around Island Beach. You will have to forgive my absent-mindedness. Actually, she was one of the rare ones that just fell into my lap and I took full advantage of the opportunity. I disabled her car and waited. This was the woman I had sitting in the front seat when I drove right through town. She was handcuffed. Her right wrist was cuffed to the door handle, and her left wrist was cuffed to the seatbelt. Strap between her and me. Plus, I had a gun and told her to sit there and look like a passenger. Looking back on it, that was a pretty risky move. Because what if I had had an accident? Or what if I had encountered a police check? I didn't think about all of that at the time. All I could think about was getting her to my place. I kept telling her constantly that if she did anything and everything I asked and didn't cause any problems, I'd let her go later. Fred met me at the trailer in the grove where we literally took turns doing what we wanted. After we were spent, We found a good spot and disposed of everything by burying it. If you want all the details, just ask, as I can provide them. By the way, this was one of the women 
I confessed to the police to. I even showed them where we buried her. Okay, Judith Daly, who was visiting from California, wanted to get away for a little bit. She had dropped the kids off. She was a dental hygienist. He came here and dismantled her car, pulled the gun on her, and the rest is history. As you can see, this is very isolated. And remember, this took place 24 years ago, so it was probably a lot different. Tony, you want to describe that was Round Island Beach, the video that we took when the book was being written. That's where David Gore kidnapped this beautiful woman. Can you explain, you know, what your feelings were that day? I can because... I remember that feeling I had in my stomach standing right where it all went down and <laughs> back when it happened it was a empty beach and all the way to when I was out there, it was still vacant. And my creative mind just couldn't help but think about how helpless she felt. And scared I mean this woman had a family she had a husband people who loved her and I remember praying for her and her family I just kind of walked out there onto the beach and talked to God for a little bit. And I was hoping that Judith K. Daly could hear me. I don't know if you knew this, but I was only convicted of six. However, there were others that the police chose not to pursue because they weren't sure they had enough evidence. They already had my confessions and one case for the death penalty. So their thinking was they didn't want to cost the taxpayers so much money on things they weren't sure they could get a conviction on when they had already had enough to put me away. The cops say that they 
believed there were 20 more. I guess this was their way of covering their ass. I don't know. You shared with me about that Paul Bernardo and Carla Homlika and how they gave her sister to Paul. Yeah, I have to say it takes an unusual breed to lure your own sister into a trap where you know she will be killed. I've read about several women who really got off on watching their boyfriend or husband rape and torture other women. There was a couple out in California that did that. In fact, the wife would lure girls into a trap, then videotape her husband doing them. They both are on death row now. I believe their names are Gerald and Charlene Galagos. But see, he died on death row in San Quentin. He wasn't executed. He passed away. Right. She was uh, never on death and row. And Charlene, he's wrong about that. Charlene right. was never on death row. In fact, Charlene is out there just as free as you and me. How fucked is that? Really? Yeah. I can't believe that Carla is free. I mean, it's a travesty. I would think she would be just as guilty. I'm going back to the letter now. I wonder how she'd feel if she ran up on someone like I was. Would that be poetic justice or what? I've heard how the legal process in Canada is really relaxed. Well, David, I remember telling you, Canada's got a pathetic uh, system. Yeah, they really do. Hey, Solely don't get me wrong. I, I love Canadians. I do too. They're great. <laughs> but they're pretty lenient. But they're pretty lenient. It's a joke. What was the killer? They paid his wife $100,000 for the victims to find where they were buried. Uh, Robert, uh, Robert Clifford Olson. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. Did he demanded 10000 a body, uh -huh. and they paid it. Sucks. I may have mentioned before that Fred had a 4x4 auto shop, and he also had a wrecker service. Well, there was this one time... He went on a wreckers call. This woman had broke down on I-95 and called him to tow his to tow her car. Well, he brought her and her car to his shop and he determined her car needed some major repairs. So she agreed to leave the car at his shop for a couple of days while he fixed it and she got a motel at the beach. Well, this woman was nice and him and I got to discuss how we could get her. 
She had told him she was traveling from Nebraska down to Miami to start a new life because she had just gotten out of a bad marriage. So for him and me, this was perfect. So we decided when she came to pick up her car, we'd get her then. So the day she came to pick up her car, I was there and I sort of made the comment that she should take a puppy home with her. Well, her face lit up about the puppy. I told her we had several in a cage in the back if she wanted to look at them and see, and see if she was eager. We had planned to walk with her to the back room and when we got there, grab her, put her on the floor and tie her up. Well, just as we were about to get to the room, Fred's mom came in and called to him. So, instead of taking this cunt to the back, we had to turn around to go back up to the front where his mom was. I was pissed, and Fred was even more pissed. We had this woman, and his mom ruined it for us. So that plan was aborted. There were several circumstances like that. And to this day, these girls don't know just how close they came to becoming a statistic. This woman at his shop was no more than 30 seconds away from being put down. You gotta love how he says being put down. It's like, a, like, like he's talking about an animal, like a dog. Back to the letter. Later we discussed how pissed we were at his mom for coming to the shop at the wrong time. Fred even told me if he had known I'd have went along with it, he'd have got both right there and then. That's how angry he was. And when Fred got pissed like that, it didn't matter who it was, they were fucking dead. What many people don't know is when you get psyched up and you're in the process of carrying out a plan and you get interrupted, you lose all sense of reality. The only thing you care about is satisfying the urge and you don't care who it is all you want is to fulfill that urge and that is what almost happened that day him and I discussed if we ever got into that situation again mom had to go we both agreed if someone interrupted us, no matter who it was, one of us would go for it and the other would be right there to help. That became a set rule for us. If it happened again, mom had to go. Wow. Th that story is just... <laughs> incredible. Just disgusting and
it's like just to fulfill that urge, dad, he'd kill his own fucking mom. What what did you say before we were talking about this? About people when they say things. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, I'll say it again. You know, people say that like all the time, like, oh gosh, you know, I'm, I, I, like I said about my brother a little bit ago, you know, I'd kill him. You know, people say that like, like on the sly, you know, not those two animals though. They would have killed her, chopped her up and harvest her. Nobody would have ever found and scalped her. scalped her. Don't forget. Everyone. Everyone. And, well, we know where those scalps are hidden. Thought I would just throw that in there. David That'll did mention that. our story, won't it? It will be, yes. So you got to keep listening to our season to find out about those scalps that Tony's talking about and pictures. I'm still trying to get over the fact that, like, you know, the whole killing Fred's mom and how these two idiots sat there and talked about that. I know. Mm -hmm. Seriously talked about it. And justified it. And if you remember in the letter that that he wrote last week that we talked about, he said, I'm going to give you a good reason why we would have killed Fred's mom. Think about that. And now he just told you why. Because she happened to interrupt them murdering, raping, and dismembering, and scalping an innocent woman. So that was the reasonable reason that he gave you of why they were going to kill her. That's what we're dealing with. And the fact that Fred isn't on death row is a joke. And that his family supports him. And they're they a joke. Him. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys, over the last two episodes, we've certainly got Gore's perspective on how and why the cousins got together and did the unthinkable. We heard about genetics, bullshit, fire ants, bullshit, hatred of women, bullshit, divorce, more bullshit, blah, blah, blah. I think it's time we hear from an expert on the subject. What do you think, Dad? Yeah, I agree, Tony. I like the way you put that, too. That that was perfect. I agree with you, and that is why we're going to have our friend Jim Fallon on the show to discuss some of Gore's thoughts as to why he and his cousin Fred became serial killers. Dr. Fallon's a neuroscientist, and he's an expert on human behavior, and he has characterized himself as a pro-social psychopath in his book, The Psychopath Inside, a neuroscientist's personal journey into the dark side of the brain. You won't want to miss this episode, and I got to tell you, Jim is a friend. He's a great guy. He's probably the smartest guy I've ever been around in my life, and uh, (laughs) it, it, it won't only be interesting, it'll be fun. This has been a lot of fun, and I think we've um, done a good job letting people get into the mind 
of David Gore. And um, I think on that note, we're going to wrap up the fourth episode of Murder Phone with your host, Tony Siaglia, and co-host, sex symbol, Al Siaglia. 71 looking like he's 50. It's unbelievable. We go out to restaurants, the waitresses hit on him. This is Joey Siaglia, and thank you for listening to Murder Phone. Hosted by my brother, Tony Siaglia, the subject of the best-selling book, The Serial Killer Whisperer, and his co-host, Al Siaglia. For more information on the show, please visit MurderPhone.com, where you can ask questions, link to our social media accounts, and much, much more. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, and an iTunes review would be much appreciated. Murder Phone was written and produced by Tony Siaglia and Al Siaglia and recorded at the Level 9 Studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks to Scott for his editing magic. Please join us next week for another exciting episode of Murder Phone. Before we go, I want to give out a huge shout out to all those living this life after brain injury, which is our new normal, as so many call it. You are awesome. Keep going. I know I will. And to my listeners out there that know someone living with a brain injury or any other mental health issue, hear me. Please be kind. Please be patient. And most of all, be understanding. Remember, they are all doing the best they can.